going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk, and to tonight's First Five. I want to tell you a story about what happened to me over this past weekend because it ties in a lot to the way we think about the fall midterms. I gave a speech on Friday night in Albuquerque, New Mexico, to a Republican Women Leaders Conference. And I had agreed ahead of time to permit, we don't usually let reporters in, but let these people come, these reporters come and both record the speech and then ask questions afterwards. So it was fine. And I got rolling. I I enjoy public speaking very much and I had fun. But at the end, the reporters uh, who were permitted to be in the room, they asked ahead of time uh, if they could ask some questions. And what they really were getting at as I was listening to their questions was they were watching the audience respond to things I had said. And they said, basically, you were nodding along and agreeing with Debbie, me, uh, when she was criticizing the conduct of the Kavanaugh protesters. And they found that really surprising. And they were saying, don't you sympathize? Essentially, don't you sympathize with them? Don't you feel concerned or uh, in some way upset or, you know, they they really could not understand what seemed to be the um, strong agreement uh, in the room with what I was saying. And I want to get at making this point. Intelligent because and, and let me back up and say, and the reason they kept pointing to was that they say there's a lot of uh, concern on the left and the right from pollsters that the fall elections may come down to educated, especially suburban women being upset at how the accuser of Kavanaugh was treated, being upset by the whole issue of sexual assault, and that that was going to sway, potentially sway the election for uh, the Democrats, especially among educated um, suburban women. So we talked about it both. They gave their answers. I gave mine. But I want to talk about that in the first five tonight, because I do think there's a lot of that sentiment being discussed that, you know, maybe this really will end up having hurt the um, the Republican Party. And I want to say absolutely not. And I want to start with why intelligent, informed, responsible women did not approve of the, uh, the conduct of the Kavanaugh protesters. And that is this. Everyone agrees. Everyone sane agrees. Left, right, old, young, male, female, any ethnicity, any race, sexual assault is horrible. Women should not put up with it. Women should report it. And there has been a history of women not reporting it out of fear of being in some way maligned or embarrassed by having to pursue the charges they like to pursue. So we've had a great public conversation. Women have to report. Uh, police must investigate. And if an actual crime appears to have occurred, that we have to have prosecutions and we need to raise a heightened societal awareness that this is unacceptable behavior in the modern world. We've had that conversation. But the reason that intelligent women reject the conduct of the Kavanaugh protesters is at least three things. First, 
the mantra, Believe Women, which these people took out a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal or Washington Post, whatever one it was, full-page, nothing else on it except believe, a hashtag Believe Women. What, if you buy into that, you're agreeing that whoever those women are accusing at, as it has a default approach have no constitutional right to defend themselves. You're agreeing that everyone, once accused by a woman, must be viewed as guilty, cannot defend himself, has no right to be heard, and that the whole presumption of innocence is dissolved. That is ludicrous. That is unfair, grotesque. That reason alone, many women rejected what the Kavanaugh protesters were saying. But it's deeper than that. Secondly, many people objected to the method being used in the protests. I'm going to talk in the next segment about this battle going on in the political conversation in America over which side is, is tribalistic, which side is engages in tribalism, and also about the left's objection to the use of the word mob. Because, But what you saw happen in Washington by the Kavanaugh protesters disrupting the hearing, that is a mob. It's, it's fine to use that word because it's accurate. And it, But even deeper than that, and the third point that I really want to get into talking about more in the next segment, is when your political approach in life is that it's a group grievance process, it's a group identity process, a group grievance process, a find a persecutor and then find someone you're going to accuse of being the persecutor and, and agree who's the persecuted, you can never get to sanity. The, the American left's just uh, addiction to finding the next group identity, group grievance, and then identifying the persecuted group leads inevitably, absolutely, and with no way around it leads to mob conduct. You generate selective, endless outrage. And the last reason, and the one I'm going to really hit in the next segment, that many intelligent, I would, I would even venture to say most intelligent women, reject the conduct of the Kavanaugh protesters because they came to realize that it was in large degree funded by George Soros and other left-wing organizations. I have a feminist who wrote about it. I'm going to tell you about that when we come back for the break. I'm Debbie George Addis. This is America Can We Talk. If you're on Facebook Live, come back in four minutes. We'll be back after the break. Debbie George Addis, America Can We Talk. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Do you dream of a better world? 
One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with Five Talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm so happy you've tuned in. I really want to hit this tribalism point tonight. And I'll tell you something. It's kind of funny. I, I do a lot of criticizing of CNN, which is richly deserved. But also, often when I'm preparing for my show in the morning, like today, I was flipping back and forth between Fox, CNN, and, you know, about 100 websites. But Jake Tapper on CNN was again on this mission of trying to attribute the quality of tribalism to people who support Donald Trump. And he's using the word tribalism and essentially arguing, you know, he Trump said something that you should be offended by. Isn't it tribalistic to keep supporting him? And I really want to hone in on this idea tonight because it matters a lot in the American political conversation. 
back to the New Mexico uh, adventure I had, which was very fun. It's a beautiful state, by the way. It was really, really pretty. I enjoyed being um, in New Mexico. But um, what these reporters were trying to get at, the underlying their question to the people in our group of, you know, why didn't you side with the Kavanaugh protesters is the idea. What they're essentially saying is, don't you follow your assigned, your group status? You're women. Women do the protest. Women are upset about sexual assault, which of course they are. No one is ever saying it's okay, but he's, he's, was agreeing with the mindset of the Women's March leaders, the left-wing feminist protesters, that basically they get to say they speak for women. And so looking around this room, he's saying, well, how could you not agree? Well, I'm going to just tell you something. There was a great, great thing was written up actually in the Wall Street Journal. It was a woman who is a left-winger. She loves the left-wing Democrat view on everything. She's a complete lefty. And she was at the march in Washington related to the Kavanaugh hearing. She wrote this piece. And again, anything I refer to is on our website, americacanwetalk.org. Her piece was called George Soros's March on Washington. What she basically, I, can, I cannot urge you strong enough to read it as a thing. Again, go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, or look it up on, on Wall Street Journal. But this was a piece she actually submitted October 7th. And... um Due to a lot of travel and busyness, I hadn't, I didn't dive in and read it until yesterday, honestly. But she basically talked about the groups that were in Washington. So she's there. She said she followed after, actually, after Trump got elected, she began following, you know, follow the money, both sides, who's funding what. And she really did pay a lot of attention to how much George Soros funded. So she talked about, for example, the protests outside the White House, the, uh, the Supreme Court, where these women climbed the uh, statues flanking the, the uh, steps of the Supreme Court. Uh, one statue is contemplation of justice, one's authority of law with fist pumps up and down. And she was even acknowledging that the protesters kind of lied about the fact that they had to storm the steps, that they were being blocked by police. She said there was no one blocking them. They just walked up the steps. But the big point I'm hitting at tonight is Trump, President Trump, blamed the protests in Washington, the Kavanaugh protest on Soros. He tweeted out, essentially, he referred to it as a left-wing mob of professional protesters who are handed expensive signs paid for by George Soros and others. And this woman wrote wrote in to say that many people criticized Trump. Oh, default conspiracy theory. He's always blaming Soros. She's saying, no, no, no. I'm a lefty to the core of my being, and he's exactly right. That's what she was saying. At least 50 of the largest organizations that participated as partners in the January 21, 2017 Women's March, you know, the alleged Women's March that I always say was not a Women's March. It was a left-wing march that a lot of women went to, but it was not a Women's March because they don't speak for women. At least 50 of those organizations received grants from Soros's Open Society Foundations Foundation. And then going forward on the Kavanaugh protest, she wrote about the fine print on the signs the protesters waved were all organizations funded by Soros. Soros funds left-wing groups to protest to keep America divided. She listed, for example, in her, this is the editorial Wall Street Journal, she listed the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, Pro-Choice America, Center for Popular Democracy, on and on and on and on and on, lists of organizations 
all funded by Soros, all funding signs that these women waved. And the reason this matters so much, this is an assault on the actual right idea of free speech in this country, civil discourse. Soros, I'm not saying Soros can't do this. He can. It's legal, at least of now, as of now, it's legal. He can fund these groups. But we women and conservatives generally cannot be duped by the American left into thinking or believing or assuming we should think that if we're women, we agree with these ladies. We agree with these protesters that we just sign on because we're women, they're women, therefore. And that the most idiotic and tribalistic thinking lives on the American left when they try to do that. The other astonishing and also just uh, tribalistic is my word of the day, I guess. But this tribalistic thinking that was I, I, truly mind-blowing was written by a guy who wrote in an editorial. And I'm going to again point out when I, I mention these editorials. The newspaper isn't always responsible for every editorial that, um, that you know, or the content of editorials, but newspapers are responsible for which editorials they run. And so here we have New York Times ran an editorial by a guy named Charles Blow, just like the, last, the word Blow, B-L-O-W. They ran it on October 7th. The New York Times chose out of, and I looked it up, about 100 submissions a day they get of people saying, wanting something. This guy, opinion columnist, he got to put this in. His is called Liberals. This is the name of Charles Blow piece on the New York Times. Liberals, this is war. I'm just going to tell you one thing he said, and then you tell me who's tribalistic in this country. Charles Blow happens to be a black gentleman, a writer, and he is acknowledging, okay, fine, uh, Kavanaugh's on the Supreme Court, you know, can't do anything about it, that battle is over. But what Charles Blow wrote is, view the entirety of the battle, he's speaking to liberals in which you are engaged, understand Kavanaugh, this is his words, Kavanaugh is just one part of a much larger plan by conservatives to fundamentally change the American political structure so that it enshrines and protects white male power, even after America's changing demographics and mores move away from that power. First of all, what's a white moray? Do you ever think how stupid that is? White people, just like members of every other race, ethnicity, national origin, have views uh, all over the field, from the far left to the far right to centrist, views all over the place. The idea that somehow there's a white Moray is beyond idiotic. But his entire column, which the New York Times chose to run, goes on and on and on and on, claiming that the Judiciary Committee, because it's made up of white men and women, chose Kavanaugh because he's white, because he will somehow inflict horrible decisions on America, preserving white supremacy, and that this guy is calling for the left-wingers in this country, the racial and ethnic minorities, to stand up and protest and, and point out this the evil of this. Folks, this is, I, I mean, truly, it's, 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 I mean, I've used the expression before, moral idiocy. There is no sanity to what he is saying. There is no logic. There is no truth. But the New York Times ran this because it keeps people agitated. It keeps ignorant people agitated. It keeps people thinking that somehow a justice was chosen for the Supreme Court because of the color of his skin. Now, somehow when a Republican chose Clarence Thomas, whom we're going to talk about later today, Clarence Thomas 
I don't know how they they factor that in, because obviously Justice Thomas was put forward by a Republican president, battled by the Democrats, lied about by the Democrats, and and he sits in the Supreme Court and issues rulings based on his view of the law. But I really, I guess if you take away any point from tonight's first five from this segment, there is a powerful need for intelligent, rational women and men of every race, ethnicity, and national origin to recognize and to to denounce, to reject the effort of the American left to stir us into a perpetual country of perpetual manufactured, manufactured selective outrage against other people groups. The, the beauty of the founding of America was that we're not based on any ethnicity, any national origin, any skin color. That's not what America is. The most, and I talk about this every week on the show, the most precious thing about our country is that America itself is an idea. It was founded on an idea. It is an idea. To perpetuate it, to protect it, to preserve it, we must expose, denounce, reject, mock, and ridicule the efforts of the American left to divide us perpetually into people groups, which only results in suspicion, competition, attacks, resentment that against some other group. America is better than this. America deserves a better and more robust, intelligent political conversation on every issue than what you can ever get from listening to the American left, the endless dividing of people into people groups. Okay, we almost got, I'm I'm out of breath here. We almost have to go off to a break here, but coming back from the break, we have a guest joining us. He's in studio, which is just great. Justice Doug Lang. He is a justice here in the state of Texas, a great appellate court justice, and he's soon to be hopefully the next uh, uh, oh, can't think of the name. Chief Justice of the court. So come back after the break. If you're on Facebook Live, come back in four minutes. Debbie George asked, America, can we talk? America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dream. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, 
fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty... From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I have in studio, as I mentioned before the break, Justice Doug Lang. He is joining me in the studio to talk about his race for the 5th District Court of Appeals. I'm going to start, though. First of all, welcome. Thank you for being in studio. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Debbie. I'd love to have you tell our listeners your current Supreme uh, Texas 5th District Court of Appeals Justice and you're running again, but I want to have you just tell, just tell our listeners a little bit about your background, how you how long you practice law, and what you've done, what you do in the court. Well, I've I've been a lawyer for well over forty years. I've been on this court for sixteen years as a justice of this intermediate uh, court of appeals. Uh, I tried lawsuits and did appeals uh, across the country, mostly in Texas uh, during my practice. Two thousand two, I was appointed uh, to this court by the governor. And uh, I've run for re-election several times since then. Our chief is retiring after 35 years, and I'm running for chief. But I, uh, 
I have a background of leadership, and uh, uh, I've been. I am currently chair of the Judicial Conduct Commission in Texas, which uh, hears and decides complaints against judges. I was on the management committee of my large large law firm. I've been chair or president of over a dozen local, statewide, national organizations. So uh, I've also received recognition. Uh, I was honored by many different groups, uh, civically and for leadership and ethics. Okay, so uh, thank you for that background, because I think when people listen to what you're talking about, you know, it's a kind of funny thing. I want to hit several points, and um, this uh, segments always go by so quickly, but um, when people think of an appellate court, I think a lot of people, if you haven't practiced law, your picture of a courtroom is you go into court, there's a judge, there's a jury, you have witnesses, they raise your right hand, they're going to tell the truth, nothing but the truth. But the appellate courts do something very different. And I want to have you in the briefest way explain what the role is of this court you're running for. The trial courts decide cases with or without juries. They render a judgment. People who are not happy with the result, there's always going to be somebody, have a right to appeal. Uh, we're the next step. They come to us, but we don't hear new evidence. We hear the re- we get the record. The lawyers file briefs. They come and argue, and we decide, applying the law to the facts in that case, whether there was something wrong in that way that uh, case was conducted or the decision. And that's what we do. We write opinions on it. We sit in panels of three, and we make a decision and uh, uh, either send it back or modify it or affirm it. So what you're describing really for our listeners, no matter where you are in the country or the world, what you're describing is really the role of any appellate court. And just I want to lay that groundwork before I get to why I want to talk to you tonight. But, you know, it's very different. People picture trials and and they are hugely important to get a fact finder to come to some conclusion about a controversy whether it's a criminal prosecution or civil litigation, but appellate courts, uh, wherever they are, it's in a wholly different role. It is reviewing a trial that's occurred, taking law, looking at the transcript, and deciding did an error occur or not. So I'm going to tell you, here in Texas, where we vote on judges, many states they don't. I did look up, and I didn't bring it with me. I had a list of, but I know there are many states that elect judges, and some don't. But for those people who live in Texas, and we elect judges— I think a lot of people think, look, I'm doing a great job. I show up on Election Day. I'm going to vote for governor. I'm going to vote for statewide races. I'm going to vote for my senator, my congressman. But we may not go down and vote for people on the on the courts because I think a lot of people don't necessarily think there's something that it could impact them that much in their life. So that's really the question. Why would an average Joe voter need to vote for the the seats on the appellate court, like what difference would it make in a law-abiding citizen's life? Because you have to uh, choose somebody that applies the law to the facts and doesn't legislate from the bench. I know that people hear that, they're not sure what that means, but the law passed by the legislature down in our state, in Austin, they're uh, they're in session for several months, every two years. They pass laws. We don't have the right as judges to decide, I don't want to apply that law. But there are some that do that. Some and judges who don't who don't follow the rule of apply the law. They, right. Uh, what good is the legislature if judges don't like the law and don't apply it? It just doesn't make sense. We are sworn to apply the law and not make it up. But yet there are some who want to do that, have done it. So I'm running against us. I'll tell you my argument I've always made in that point is this. 
the entire beauty of the Constitution, giving power to the individual. We, the people run the country. The way the vehicle we have set up to do that is to have the people elect legislators who pass laws. And if we don't like what they pass, we can vote them out of office and vote somebody else in. But the point of it is you that is the way you retain power in the hands of the people is you elect legislators. If you get people uh, who are sit on courts and undo what the legislators do, they're really undoing the will of the people. They're undoing the will of the people. And also people cannot plan for the future because they can't plan if they have judges like on our court, some people who do not want to apply the law. Then we have a situation where businesses would not be able to plan. They wouldn't. It would be totally unpredictable. And that is really the heart of it. Businesses can plan based on the advice of their lawyers. Individuals can plan based on the advice of their lawyers. This is what the law is, and it's likely to stay that way. Yep, very important. So in this election coming up in Texas and everywhere in the country, November 6th in Texas, we have eight justices on your particular district court of appeal. And there are 13 of them in the state, 13 district courts of appeal? There are 14, 14. and they carve up the state in uh, such a big state. We have uh, we're the largest court. We uh, we uh, deal with the largest volume of cases every year from 1400 to 1700 cases. Okay, so I want to turn to then what about the argument? Because there are Democrats running for all these seats. In Texas, we run on a, on a partisan basis. So I've heard the argument made by some people. Well, what about getting some political diversity on the court? Why not elect Democrats just for political diversity? What's wrong with that argument? Well, I'm a Republican because I believe in limited government. But when it comes to judging, there's only one way to judge, and that is apply the law. This idea of diversity of views. This tells me that they're cruising not to apply the law. That's exactly what I was thinking. That idea, if you're arguing political diversity is the reason to vote Democrat for a judge, you're agreeing that you think these judges aren't going to follow the law. They're going to follow the their left-wing Democrat viewpoints, which should have no place. in. It's the same thing on the Supreme Court, and every court should have no place in your thinking and your application of the law. So, Absolutely. We're going to run out of time here, but I do want to ask you uh, two things. One is the Dallas Morning News, uh, you don't have to agree with this. I'm just going to say it. Defaults endorses Democrats all the time. How do they do in, in your court? You have eight seats up on the uh, this court that are all re- held by Republicans. Uh, they endorsed, uh, they recommend all eight Republicans based on experience and the way we do things. Six of us have been on the court for uh, some time. Two others are accomplished trial and appellate lawyers who hold the view that I've just discussed. So that's, you know, that's what happened. And, uh, of course, some who thought that uh, a more liberal paper would go with them on the Democrat side were quite surprised. Okay. In this, I guess we, yeah, we do still have a minute and a half. So you're actually running for chief justice, which is a different than just one of the justices. What does that mean? What does that involve? Well, I would still be deciding cases as I have for the last 16 years. I've written 2,000 opinions and decided over 6,000 cases. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's a lot. but, But there is administrative factor. It's like the CEO, chief executive officer of any entity. You have to be sure that everybody has what they need to do their job. Also, integral part of that is going to the legislature, which, of course, begins to meet in January, and be sure that our budget works uh, and and we get the budget we need. We have 40 lawyers that work for us to help us decide those 1,700 cases a year. They don't decide them, but they do research and help us. 
work with the other chief justices, with the other courts of appeals, of the Supreme Court, of the Court of Criminal Appeals, and there is a lot of coordination. So it is a management job. It's a job that uh, requires leadership and uh, understanding of how to work with people. And I have that experience based on my leadership uh, over the years in those many organizations I spoke about. Yeah, we're just about out of time. I do want to mention, first of all, if you're just tuning in, this is Justice Doug Lang we're speaking with. He's on the ballot this fall along with eight other justices currently serving on the Texas 5th District Court of Appeal. And this is a if you think that you don't vote for judges because you don't know them, please don't do that. This matters to keep people in the court who follow the law at all times. In the last 10 seconds, your website is justicedouglaslang.com. Is Correct. that right? com. Read about him. And I tell you, folks, get out there and tell your friends they need to vote for the judges all the way down the ballot. Justice Lang, thanks for coming in. And thank you, Debbie. Okay, folks, this is, I'm Debbie Georgias. This is America Can We Talk. We'll be right back. Facebook Live, come back in four minutes. We'll be right back. The song of freedom is crying out. Can you hear us If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families. 
by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. And welcome back to America Can We Ever Talk. This is Debbie George Addis. I just love talking with you every Sunday evening, 6 to 8 p.m. Also want to mention I do a podcast now uh, on our Facebook page. If you're watching on Facebook, thank you. On Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time, I do a podcast. It's usually right around an hour. I'm going to be doing more of them. And we often deep dive into one or two really important topics. And the entire purpose of my radio show the reason I'm sitting here every Sunday evening talking with you is just to uh, to be on the front lines in the battle to preserve this extraordinary country, to preserve the liberty on which we were founded, to talk about the issues that we face in America from the larger perspective of whether we are able, whether we are preserving America or endangering it. You know, one of the things I didn't get in, uh, it, first of all, I want to mention also a thank you to Justice Doug Lang for coming in the studio. You know, um, he's a, uh, these are just serious substantive jobs people have in the course of appeal and it takes people who will just i mean they read and they digest and they they look fairly what the law is and this is is not just this election in texas because there are elections like this around the country but it's one of the pieces one of the elements of preserving liberty preserving the rule of law you can't preserve the rule of law if you elect judges who won't uphold the rule of law, who, as I used to call it on the Supreme Court, when we have the constitutionalists, those who actually follow the law in the court versus the other segment of the court, the other half of the court, which is the makeup stuff portion, you, you actually lose the rule of law if you fill courts with people who make up stuff instead of follow the law. It is the structure. It is, it is the basis for holding on to the power we, the people, because we elect the people in legislature, legislatures in your various states and in Congress, and they in turn make laws and the courts enforce them. They, they shouldn't be making up stuff. So this, this uh, issue we have in Texas of all these seats up and Democrats arguing for political diversity, which is absurd, is actually very revealing about how they see this possibility of getting on the court where they can make up stuff. Okay, but back to the thing about women. I want to show one other thing, you know. 
this was so eye-opening, this speech I did in New Mexico and the reporter's comments afterwards. And the, it just, we had a very long and lovely conversation with these, uh, these ladies. But the other thing is, you know, beside the points I was making earlier relating to just rejecting the idea of being told by the American left, because I am a woman, I must think this, 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 and this. I must agree with the Women's March which I don't. I I agree with women having equal access to education, to jobs, to being paid fairly, to have the right to to be free of sexual assault, to be to have access to the highest uh, levels of power in this country and in 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 every career and every stream of business and education. I'm in favor of women having equal access to all of that and to being treated fairly. But that doesn't mean I identify in any way with the left-wing feminists who have, among other things, besides they have, have come up with this absurd and unlawful and grotesquely unfair hashtag believe women, meaning you can never question a woman who makes an accusation and a guy who is accused can never defend himself absurdly, inanely moral idiocy. But the other aspect of it is that people recognize how much is being paid for by the American left. And by it's a bought and paid for movement, a lot by George Soros affiliated groups. But the other element I want to mention that why I just, I think that there is a needs to be a movement more and more away from the feminism of the left has to do with an attitude that just screamed out from a speech made by Arizona Democrat Senate candidate uh, Kristen Sinema. Her last name is, it sounds like the word, like a movie, Sinema, but it's S-I-N-E-M-A. She actually, in a speech in 2006, so this wasn't like, you know, 30 years ago when she was a young dope in college or something. In 2006, as a full-on grown-up, made a statement, a speech in, in Arizona. She is, by the way, she is the Democrats candidate for U.S. Senate from Arizona. She said in a speech that she was, she was mocking and deriding the choice of women to work, to stay home, to be stay-at-home moms. And so her statement was, these women who act like staying at home, leeching off their husbands or boyfriends, and just cashing the checks is some for excuse me is some sort of feminism because they're choosing to live that life that's bs i mean what the f are we really talking about here this is a woman lovely mouth by the way lovely mouth but this is a woman who thinks she should serve in the noble united states senate one of 100 americans in a the, you know the most elite elected position beside the presidency in the entire country. This is who the Democrats chose from the state of Arizona. This Kristen Cinema, who's deriding of women's choice to stay at home and be stay-at-home moms as leeching off their husbands or boyfriends and cashing checks, some form of feminism. She's mocking that they're claiming it's feminism. I'll tell you folks what I've said about that. I, I loved practicing law, actually. Uh, in my other life, I love practicing law. And I love being a stay-at-home mom. And I love being a political consultant and a political analysis analyst. And I love doing radio. But I love staying at home, too. And they're the, the highest idea of respect for fellow women, for other people, is to respect them enough to believe and respect that they know what's best in their lives. 
that they actually have the capacity, the right, the ability to make the decision best for them and their lives. That is the highest respect for women. That's not the notion that, well, if you're a woman and you're educated and you went to law school, the least you can do is stay practicing law because otherwise you're hurting women, you're diminishing the women's movement. The highest idea of feminism, the right idea of feminism, the right idea of respect for women is the idea that women should be respected for whatever choice they made, which make, which may mean work full time, have kids and still work full time can mean work full time, have kids stay home, mean whatever you choose. This, this arrogance of the, of the elitism of the American left screams off the pages of the way Kristen Sinema now speaks. So I'm going to assume the wise voters of Arizona can find somebody better than, in fact, has to be the other person, the Republican, uh, who was not my first choice in the primary, in the Republican primary in Arizona, but she is now on the ballot, Martha McSally. Um, she'll at least vote correctly, even though um, she she won't, she doesn't have the horrible attitudes that Kristen Cinema has. Okay, but I really want to get to in this segment, and I don't want to run out of time because this is one of the hugest stories of the week, is uh, this emerging... Uh, caravan is the word people have been using. You know, caravan is usually a nice word. Like caravan, I remember when I'm growing up, I went to Girl Scout camp endlessly, and there were always like a caravan of vans, a bunch of moms driving a bunch of girls and all going down to the, or the families caravanning down to drop your daughter at Girl Scout camp. Caravan has a happy name, happy, you know, uh, connotation to me, but caravan's a word being used to describe this impending invasion at the southern border of America from people from the country of Honduras who are literally walking across Honduras and then uh, butting up against the border of Guatemala and then getting trying to get through Guatemala into Mexico and ultimately to America. And if you haven't been following this story or only seen brief headlines, it has huge political consequences and huge political intent of consequences. So the short story is Honduras is a profoundly poverty-stricken country. And America sends aid to Honduras to the tune of over $100 million a year. So we, we do send aid. They have about 8 million residents in Honduras. But some Hondurans, and the numbers keep varying and changing, and people join the group, and then Guatemalans join the group, and then Mexico Mexican citizens join the group. So, But it's, it's ranged 2,000, 5,000 number of people literally marching from their country of Honduras through Guatemala, through Mexico, trying to get to America, and giving speeches and, and little comments to the media along the way that they intend to get to America. They want to be admitted into America, and they want to come to America to work. And so this is, of course, getting endless media attention from the American left. Here we have poverty-stricken people coming through, uh, coming up through a southern border. And again, as a test, is the, is the Republican establishment, is, is Donald Trump and the Republican Party going to be mean to them, going to refuse to admit them? They're all hungry and all this. And I, obviously, I'm not raising points that probably some of what I'm about to say you've heard other commentators say. But I want to talk about why this really matters, the ability of the uh, – the American conservative side, the Republican side, to stand up with some backbone has been greatly added to by President Trump's, uh, by his presidency, by his attitude. So the short story is many people have pointed out how did people who literally, the, uh, the average salary in this country, I think it's something like $230 a year. And whether it's that 
$230 a year or $230 a month. It's, you know, they're, they're basically all very hungry. They have barely any, any food. So how do they get the money and the wherewithal to be marching for a week now and continuing this march? They're stopping different cities and different places, provide them with um, some you know, supplies of various kinds, food and shelter and, I guess, clothing or blankets. But the point is, this is not just like the Women's March was not, just like the Kavanaugh March was not, the protest was not. This is not a, this may be people who are actually hungry and need help, but this is not a, a spontaneous, organic uprising of people. This is a bought and paid for funded protest. And in fact, the one organization, the most responsible, I don't have the name in front of me, uh, but it basically in English, it stands for People Without Borders. The translation of the name of the group that's paying for this is People Without Borders. That's who's paying for this stuff. And the reason it matters so, so very much is that what these people are arguing, what is being argued by the people who are sympathetic to this is that we have to have, uh, we have to be sympathetic and let them in. We have to let them apply for asylum. This is, this is, designed to embarrass the Trump administration during this time that we're reaching toward, uh, we're getting close to the election, is designed to give the Democrats a talking point of saying, look, we're sympathetic, look how mean Donald Trump is, he won't let them in. And folks, we have to be smarter than this. We cannot get sucked in by the media that's trying to tell us that this is a good example of how mean Donald Trump is. We cannot permit that to be our answer because... What we're really seeing is an effort by the, again, Soros-funded, people without borders, very left-wing, very socialist, very globalist group to try to say, to try to force and push and crush the idea, crush the border of America and push the idea that there's no reason America should have a particularly strong identity, no reason our border matters. Why not just surrender the border? We can't do that. We must stand strong and insist on the rule of law. More of this after we come back for the break. I'm Debbie Georgettis. This is America Can We Talk. Come back after our break. If you're on Facebook Live, we come back. We're going to do our cruise through the news. Talk to you after the top of the hour. 